Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had here this morning. Let me invite you, if you would, grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And we are working through uh, Christmas songs uh, through the Gospel of Luke. And of course, we uh, covered Mary's song last week. And of course, today we are going to be talking about uh, another famous song, maybe uh, not a song title that we uh, cling to necessarily, the Benedictus, uh, as we think of uh, Christmas songs that are uh, ringing in our heads. But what a wonderful song we have laid out in front of us here this morning. But I'm sure by the time you, we have arrived at this point, you've been filling your head full of Christmas music, whether you want to or not, right? Anywhere you go, anything you watch, anything you're doing, anything that you're involved in in any way, shape, or form that involves anyone outside of your own home, in some way has some connection with Christmas, and so much of what we do with Christmas involves so many of the songs that we sing and so many of the songs that we enjoy. But interestingly enough, you look at all the the songs, they they paint different pictures, right? And you see these different pictures that are painted along the way of various aspects of what it looks like to celebrate Christmas, or maybe the ways in which we nostalgically think of what Christmas was like, whether or not it was ever actually the case. But how helpful it is to have a song that we could sing together that paints the entire picture, that paints the entire picture not simply in the sense that Christ has come, and that God is faithful to His promise in sending Christ, but Christ has come on a mission. Christ has come on a redeeming mission. Christ has come to accomplish what we could not accomplish for ourselves, to save us from our sin. We need a song that we can sing together, a Christmas song acknowledging the glory of the One who has come and looking to see all of what He has come to do. Dare I say that as we come into this place in God's Word here today, we have a song that is laid out in front of us that does that very thing for us and manages to do so in only two sentences, although they're a little longer than you might think. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67, as you turn there and as you think about, you know, where we are within the Christmas story, by the time we get to this point... Zechariah has already had the interaction uh, with the angel, and of course, Elizabeth has conceived, and it was miraculous because she was an older lady, and of course, now she's uh, with child, and what an amazing reality that is. And yet, in the midst of all of that, because of Zechariah's initial unbelief and hesitancy to believe the promise, of course, he was mute. And of course, at that time, there's also the angel appears to Mary, and the Holy Spirit overshadows the womb of Mary. And then within the womb of Mary, we have Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then, of course, Mary and Elizabeth meet together, and John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth rejoices and leaps for joy at Jesus Christ within the womb of Mary. And of course, we saw last week with Mary's song of praise and the wonder of what it means to see all of what God has fulfilled and done in her. But of course, we ended that passage of Scripture with the reality that Mary left and it was really time for Elizabeth to give birth. And by the time we get to this place, she has given birth. Zechariah was still mute at the time, but in following the angel's instructions to him, instead of naming his son after himself, he named him John, the name which means Yahweh is gracious. And in so doing and following the instruction, God opens his mouth and that after this long Silence follows this wonderful song of praise in answer to the question that was laid out there, what then will this child be? So read with me, if you will, in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67, and this is what we read. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, 
Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance. Israel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, stir our hearts with this song to sing together. That as we think of Christmas, as we think of the arrival of Christ, as we think of the incarnation, as we think of all of the wonder of what that means, as we think of the joy, the peace, and the hope, Father, stir our hearts for adoration for you that we would bless your name forever, that we would worship and adore you. Acknowledging the fact that Jesus did not just come as a baby, but Jesus came as a baby to become a man, ultimately to redeem us. Father, open our eyes to see the big picture of what you have done in Jesus Christ, even as we sing this song around the time of his birth. Father, thank you. For Jesus, direct our eyes, attention, and our hearts, affection to him this morning now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we get into this, it really as it starts off, and really as Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately responds, it says his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, so there it is, the Holy Spirit at work in his heart and life, the eternal God, so by his Spirit, in reference to the promise of the Father, fulfilled through the Son, is declaring through Zechariah as he's prophesying and he speaks this wonderful song, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Even the word that he uses here for blessed is a word that's used only for God, biblically. It's a different word that is used in Mary's song as she referred to as blessed. This one is in reference to the glory and the majesty and the wonder that is reserved for God and for God alone, that He alone is to be worshipped, He alone is to be adored, He alone is to be exalted, the one true Lord God of Israel. And that as He's singing this song, as He's prophesying this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why worship the Lord like this? At this point, all, all that we have is a baby who's still within the womb. Could it be that he has come to do more than we could ever have thought possible? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited. Now notice, even that statement alone gives a very high view of the arrival of Jesus, doesn't it? 
He's making reference to the fact of an yet unborn baby Jesus as the visitation of the Lord God himself that he has visited. But even the word itself gives rise to the understanding that he has come with every intention to help us. The Emmanuel, the promised one, has come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He has come to do and accomplish for us what we have labored long as humanity to do or to even undo for ourselves and yet could never have done it. And what has He done? He has visited. He brings the gift that we cannot afford. He brings the most thoughtful gift, the most life-changing gift. And what is it? He has redeemed His people. Now, of course, even this itself looks forward to the finished work of Christ on the cross. This is making reference to the fact that we ought not simply think of Jesus as this wonderful, precious child, though we ought to think of Him like that at least briefly. He's come in the flesh to become like us so that He would be tempted in every way as we are and yet be without sin and go to the cross and die for us and rise from the dead. He has come with every intent to purchase to redeem. It's the first aspect of Christmas shopping, we might say. That when we go Christmas shopping, unlike when we go shopping really for anything else, when you go Christmas shopping, you go with every intent to purchase. You go knowing good and well you're going to spend. And you've got justification in your mind, maybe to some degree, I hope, as to what that will be. But nevertheless, you're going to spend something. You got the list, and you're standing there in the store. Maybe you're talking to your spouse. You're talking to your kids. You're like, well, we got to get them something. Maybe you're sitting there at home and just trying to figure it all out on Amazon, but you're still thinking, we got to get them something. Christmas shopping, we go with every intent to purchase. Look at what Christ has done. He has come with every intent to purchase us for Himself, to redeem us from our sin, to make us His own. He has not come to visit us empty-handed. He has come to purchase our lives with His. To provide the absolute assurance of the forgiveness of our sin because He's covered the cost in full in Himself. Or as we might sing, long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appeared. And the soul felt its worth. Even right here, we're reminded what a song worth singing. Praising Jesus for what He has come to do. Praise the Lord who has visited and redeemed just as He's promised that we're getting the bigger picture of what's going on here as we celebrate Christmas. Because He goes on to describe it in this way. In verse 69, He says, And He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. In the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. He's raised up a horn of salvation. Now, it's hard not for us as we think about songs and Christmas songs. We talk about this as a song. We talk about everything else. You think of a horn of salvation, you're like, a trumpet player? No, that's not what he's making reference to at all. This horn of salvation is actually referenced in Psalm 18, verse 3, and really you could go all the way back to 2 Samuel 22, verse 3, and David's song of deliverance where Psalm 18 is referenced there as well. And this 
this acknowledgement of the horn of an animal being a, pl- a point of might and strength and power. He has come as an exercise of God's might and strength and redeeming power of His redeeming love to save us from our sin, to bring peace and to reign forever. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, just as the prophet said. Now, very clearly here, Zechariah is speaking of Jesus and not John the Baptist. John the Baptist was of the line of Aaron. Zechariah was a Levite. Here we have him speaking clearly of Jesus, of the line of David, just like the prophets told us. Look at how faithful our God is to His promise. Because you start to back up and you start to think, okay, how, how has he told us this before? We can think of him opening the cleansing fountain for the forgiveness of sin in the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 13, which would have been written somewhere around the time of 500 B.C., You can back up a little further and you can think of the righteous branch raised up in the house of David from Jeremiah chapter 23, and you can think of that being written around 600 B.C. You can think of the promise of the one who's going to come through Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5, and you can think in 750 B.C. You can think of the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and you're backing up a thousand years B.C., Then you think of all the details of all the other messianic promises and all the ways in which He would come. We think of Him in the Emmanuel. You think of the one born of the virgin. You think of the light to the Gentiles and the one who is the wonderful counselor and everlasting father and prince of peace and mighty God. And you think, this is amazing. God told us what we were going to get for Christmas. And He told us exactly why we need it. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And being His and being purchased by His blood means His protection over what He has purchased. It's a whole lot better. It's a whole lot better protection plan than the one that you're going to get when you're standing at the counter and they say, we're going to offer you for $29, you can cover this thing for three years. And you're standing there and you've got 12 people behind you and you feel the pressure of it and you're thinking, nope, not going to do it. It's a protection plan that lasts for all eternity. He has come that we should be saved from our enemies. And then we think, okay, saved from our enemies. Who is that? Jesus. Out of the mouth of babes, right? He saves us from our enemies, not political enemies, even though that's a very easy thing for them to think and for us to think. Saved from our enemies like Satan himself, who has come only to steal and to kill and to destroy. To steal the joy right out of your life. To destroy your family to kill and to crush whatever hope you may have. Jesus has come to save us, that we would have a life built on Him and His hope and His joy and His peace. 
that we should be saved from our enemies, but even also we could readily admit that because of our own sin nature, we can often look at those that we may see around Christmas time that we may not see any other time, and we may have often thought to ourselves, you are your own worst enemy. Christ has come to transform lives that even for those because of their sin nature that has been undealt with because they've not yet trusted in Christ, even then He's mighty to save and transform those who are all rooted up in addictions, all messed up in all sorts of messy relationship decisions, who are all tied up in all manner of immoral things. He saves us even from the ruinous desires of our own unredeemed hearts that He would draw us to Himself, that we would not only be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. The hand of all who, who look at us and say, I don't like you because you love him. The hand of all of those who maybe would look to Jesus and then look to us and say, why did you purchase that? And we are covered in his love that all the whispers of hell itself are conquered by the mighty, saving, redeeming love of our Lord Jesus Christ. The picture painted here in this song of salvation is not simply of a baby in a manger, but a baby in a manger who goes to a cross and right out of an empty tomb, who redeems, who saves, who reconciles, and his keeping power is greater than any destroying power that may be out there. And even more, verse 72, he says, to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father, Abraham. He says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. But see, it's easy for us to read this. We, we need not forget, we don't deserve mercy. We deserve wrath. If we were simply to get what we deserved, we wouldn't want it. The wages of our own sin is death. That's what we have earned. It's a whole lot worse than coal in a stocking. But God in His faithfulness to His own promise has remembered His own mercy. And Jesus provides what was promised. There will come a time on Christmas morning when you're sitting there and maybe you're sitting there with your kids or maybe it's with your grandkids and you're, or maybe it's with whatever kids may be running around the house and, you know, the gifts have been given and some of them are starting to be played with and all of a sudden one of them is going to go on the fritz, right? And you remember when you were looking at buying it and it was one of those things was like, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. And, you know, you, you watched all the advertisements and you read all the details and then you're looking at it and be like, that's not really working the way it's supposed to. That's not really the way it was designed. It's not living up to its promises. There will come times on Christmas morning where we look around and it's just like the air has been let out of the balloon. Lift your eyes to look to Jesus and be reminded He has provided what He has promised. He cares. He restores. He loves. And He remembers the oath that He swore to our father Abraham. He remembers the oath that was made all the way back there in Genesis chapter 12. What an amazing work. 
In the face of all that is dark, in the face of all that is evil and broken, there is hope. That even as you may grieve in the moment over society or grieve over circumstances in your own family or grieve over the reality of what's happening in the lives of your own friends, for all of those moments where you just look around and you can't say anything other than, Lord, have mercy, remember, yes. That when those words come out of our mouth, Lord, have mercy, he has, he remembered He remembers his own promise. God has not forgotten. Because we can stir it all up as much as we can, and we ought to in many ways, to sing and have all of the holiday cheer. The reality is, is that it is a hard time as well. A broken family feels more broken this time here. An absence in the family feels more pronounced this time of year. Solitude feels more solitary this time of year. God remembers where people forget. God remembers and displays his care to the extent of his own visitation that he would redeem us. That for all who fail to visit you this year, who forget to call you this year, don't overlook the fact that God has remembered and there is hope in him. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So God not only saves us by his grace and for his own glory, but the gift that, that he gives just keeps on giving. Redemption gives us purpose in life. He's delivered us from the hand of our own enemies, so He's set us free. And then once we're free, it's like, okay, well, what now? That we might serve Him. And that we might serve Him without fear. That the method of our service would be fearless, free from our enemies to go and shout forth from the mountaintops, Jesus saves, set free to go Witness the glory of what God is doing around the world in the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and the advance of the gospel and thinking that in some way every dollar that is given is somewhere around the world, somebody's going to know for the first time God came to save them from their sins. But what an acknowledgement too that even in our own midst that very thing is taking place as well. Fearless with the gospel. As our method of service. But that our character of service would be in holiness and righteousness before Him. That we would look ever increasingly more like Him. That we would have the morality that reflects the reality of who God is and what He says is right and what He says is wrong. And that everything would be lived, set apart for the glory of God, for the glory of Christ, and that this would be the expectation of His people. This is the character of our service. What's the duration of our service? All our days. Not just when the decor is up. 
Not just while the wreath is still on the door. Not just while we can look around and say, well, Jesus is the reason for the season. You know, that's true in the spring as well. That's always true. All our days set apart for the service of the Lord who has redeemed us. He has come to set us free and to give our lives meaning and purpose and an aim that in all of your activities as a young person, in all of your aspects of your life as a single adult, all of what it may look like in your career, all of what it may look like in marriage, all the ways in which you're raising your kids, or maybe you're involved in school, or maybe you're tied up in things at work, or maybe you're working towards retirement or whatever else the case may be. Life is worship. And so it's like the songs are just tying together all year long. Worship that lasts and the lasting effects of redemption, that we would see the whole picture and see the whole point. This is not meant for us to look at Christmas and think that this is just time to think precious moments. It's not just cartoonish stuff where it's like, oh, that's really sweet. It is sweet, but it's more than that. It's the beauty that God has not forgotten us. That He sent His Son to become like us in every way. That He could be our substitute and our Savior. And that we would look at Him and we would think of Christmas and think, praise be to God for what He has done. And He promised and He has fulfilled His promise. Praise the Lord for the promises kept. But in order for us to fully enjoy Him, preparation has to be made. Which is why at this point in Zechariah's song, after the first sentence concludes, he turns to his son and says this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. This is Zechariah. He's just talking again. He's just found his voice again. And he's remembering the very words that were spoken to him in Luke chapter 1, verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the the Lord a people prepared. He's looking at his son and being like, "You're, you're the forerunner that's described in Isaiah chapter 40. You're the one who's come in the spirit and power of Elijah that's that's mentioned right at the very end of Malachi chapter 4. God has raised him up to prepare us for Christ. That John would be the prophet of the Most High, that he would go before the Lord to prepare his ways. That Zechariah is singing what his son would later proclaim. He must increase and I must decrease. That long before John the Baptist 
was making that declaration. It was sung to him in a lullaby. Christmas is nothing without preparation. It wasn't that long ago that we got together as a church and it was back in November and we made some comment about it being 70-something days until Christmas. And everybody's like, oh. There you go. Because we, re- we know what it means to prepare. The, the stockings have to be hung by the chimney with care. But then you have to get everything to fill the stockings up with too. But then you look around at the tree and then you think of all the lists. And then you think of all the list of, you know, the, the sort of sub-list of everything else. And you're like, well, what if we run into these people? Well, what if, what if they bring us something? What are we going to do? So then you got to stockpile gifts that are sort of nondescript but ready to go. All these preparations. But then you got to wrap it, or maybe, maybe you got to bag it. I don't know. Maybe you got to figure out what you're going to do for a meal. You got you to get together all the ham, and then you got to get together all the, all the trimmings, and then you got to get, get together all the cookies and figure all that out. And then you got to figure out how you're going to motivate a family to eat after they've spent the past four hours eating candy out of a sock. <laughs> you're like, all this preparation. All this getting ready. But in the moment of all of the work that goes into all of it, what are we aiming for? We're aiming to see the significance of the moment. And then in all the preparation that John the Baptist would pour into that by the Spirit of God at work in him, what is he preparing us to see the significance of? To give the knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Get ready for the full significance of Jesus in His mission. That we need to know that we need salvation. This was the message of John the Baptist, wasn't it? Repent. Even the people who thought they were more righteous than everybody else, what did he say? No, you're a, you're a bunch of snakes. Repent. Repent. Turn away from your sin. Look to the one who is to come. You need to know this is our main problem. Jesus did not come at Christmas time, as we think of it, so that we would just have a holiday to celebrate. He has come to save us from our sins. We need to know that, the knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. And that our salvation is spiritual. We need to know that though we have sinned in our own, we have sinful action, but we have a sinful nature that we are born with. And so we are at our, in our own natural state, at odds, in an enmity with God himself. We need someone to redeem us, to set us at peace with God, with whom we are at war against in our sin. And so we need to hear the echo of the words of John the Baptist as he was an older gentleman at the time, when he proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. That we ought to be able to look in the manger and say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We ought to think of Jesus in this way all the time to give the knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because at the time, Israel's understanding of salvation and really what they wanted in terms of salvation was a big old mess. But for many of us, it's the same. We think, well, if Jesus will just give me a little bit more money, all my problems would be solved. No, they wouldn't. If Jesus would just give me what I want for Christmas, instead of what I know I'm getting, everything would be better. No, it wouldn't. Jesus has come to save us from our sin. That we need not look for political salvation. We need internal transformation. Instead of looking for the king to crush our enemies, we need the king to crush our sin. We need to see and acknowledge and rejoice even in the bigger picture of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to give what we were ashamed to admit we needed. And in love, he did it anyway. Because, verse 78, of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What motivated this gift? The tender mercy of God. If you get down into the Greek text, it's sort of gut-level love for us. What a reason to give. And he says, even in describing this gut-level care and compassion to our own state without him, because of his tender mercy, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. This picture is sometimes translated day spring. It's in reference to, you know, you can go a couple of different places. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. You can think of Malachi chapter 4 and the Son of Righteousness rising with healing in His wings. And it's like this acknowledgement of the fact that here we are without Christ awaiting the dawn. And it's so dark. And we're looking and waiting and hoping We're hoping for someone to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And Christ has done that very thing. It's like Isaiah chapter 9. Those who sit in darkness have seen a marvelous light. See, this is all of us before Christ. And in the darkness, there we were, and it was meaningless, and it was senseless, and we were just tied up in knots over all the things that we couldn't make sense out of in our own lives. And as tears spill over, from our frustrated eyes, from all the long nights of waiting and looking, will it ever come? Is there any hope? Is there any joy? Could there be any help for what I've got going on in my own life, grieved over our own lives, grieved over our own decisions? Amid all the self-centered mess and the looming reality of death itself, just when we think all hope is lost, lift up your eyes and see the light on the horizon. Light that is dawned over death. Life that is dawned over hell. Life that is dawned over our sin and our brokenness and our shame and our sorrow. Light has dawned and his name is Jesus. 
and he guides our feet into the way of peace. It's like, it's like saying, now that you see, come this way. And he leads us, and he guides us. He guides us to walk in the wonder of what it means to have peace with God against whom we have sinned and that we are set at, in a right standing with him, not on the basis of what we've done or what we've earned or, or anything we've said, but on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. But then that peace just continues to spill over and cascade through our lives. It becomes peace that passes all understanding that would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Through all the drudgery or all the difficulty, through all the frailty and everything else. And there he is guiding our steps that we would walk in it, hearts prepared to enjoy him forever. See, as we read this song and as we read the wonder of, and, and read of redemption and read of salvation and read of, you know, all of the ways in which he transforms our lives to serve him and we think of light and we think of forgiveness and we think of peace and we use all these words and we see him hung up all over the place in our own lives. These lyrics to this song are not meant to be the sort of, just sort of pipe dream lyrics that we, we listen to once a year. It's not like sitting in your house when it's 65 degrees outside on Christmas morning and listening to Bing Crosby sing, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. While you're putting your shorts on to go check the mail because you forgot four days ago. No, these are meant to be known and experienced. This is meant to be enjoyed and sung throughout all of our days. Are we prepared to praise Him for the reality of what He has done? Do we see the whole picture that we would exalt Him for who He is and what He's done? Because as far as John the Baptist in verse 80, we're simply told the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. And it's fun to think of the baby becoming a toddler and the toddler, you know, becoming the preschooler and the preschooler becoming the elementary age, you know, kind of, and you think of him, you know, eating locusts and honey when he's an adult. You're like, well, I wonder what he was like when he was a little boy. You think of him growing up and all the, all the listening, all the learning that he did, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearing in Israel. And until then, it's like the song was stuck in his head. Not nostalgic songs of days gone by. Song of God's faithfulness to his promises. And that this child would one day do his part as a grown man. And he sees Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Praise God for promises kept because the Lamb of God who came is the Lamb of God who did accomplish our redemption. That the Son of God took on flesh lived a real human life, was tempted to sin in every way as we are and yet never did and went to the cross and substituted himself for you 
That when you turn from your sin and you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have forgiveness and everlasting life, not on the basis of you accomplishing it, but on the basis of Christ giving it to you by His grace. Let us not sing the songs of Christmas without any personal connection to His promises. Just like any gift that's given, it has to be received. And the only way for you to receive this gift is by faith. Won't you trust Him? Won't you trust Him that His way is better than yours? Won't you trust that this gift is the gift that you need? Won't you trust that He's the one who alone will lead you to redemption, salvation, hope? purpose, forgiveness, and peace. Trust Him today and exalt Him in His everlasting glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time to study a song of praise. And Father, we pray that You would take these lyrics and stir them deep in our hearts that we would be reminded in every moment of our Christmas celebration, of the joy and the glory of the whole picture that is painted here. That while we rejoice in the arrival of Jesus and the sweetness of Him as a newborn baby, may we never lose sight of the fact that that baby is our Savior who grew into a man, who died on the cross for our sin, who rose from the dead, and in whom alone there is forgiveness and everlasting life. Stir our hearts to praise and adore because we see the full picture now. By your Spirit, Father, convict us of our sin. By your Spirit, open eyes for people who have never yet trusted in Christ in all things and in every way as we respond to you. Be magnified in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.